You're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM. I'm Leah McBain, WNYU's general manager. Here's a news update from our news department and NYU Local. The case count for COVID-19 continues to climb in New York City after state officials announced that nearly 1,200 more people tested positive between Tuesday and Wednesday. Governor Cuomo attributed the spike to New York's increased testing capacity. So far, the state has tested almost 15,000 people. A third of those were done on Tuesday. As the rate of new cases grows by the day, Mayor de Blasio said on Wednesday night that more than 1,000 retired medical professionals answered the call to volunteer in the city's response to the pandemic. The Dean of Tisch announced Wednesday that Tisch students will have the option to make all classes pass-fail. At Global Sites, most language courses are also pass-fail. The Dean of Tandon is considering the same and said a decision on pass-fail will come on Monday. I'm joined now by Addison Knees from NYU Local with more. Hi, Addison. Thanks for speaking with me. Hi, Liam. Thanks for having me. So it seems like Tish is making all courses pass-fail and Tandon is kind of considering the same. Do you think this adds pressure to all schools at NYU to follow suit? I think so. There's been some talk, um, at least among the people I know, that this is going to, that the results are going to vary. In fact, it already varies with language courses, especially in the language courses at the global sites. For example, one of our reporters, Andy, can't take one of his Italian classes pass-fail. Is there a reason why it varies? We're not quite sure yet. Every single school can implement a completely different decision. Basically, the provost is just asking that restrictions be lifted and then put new restrictions in place individually. So each individual school will have its own new pass-fail restrictions. Let's talk more about the Tisch email. It also said that students won't get any refunds, including production fees, right? Yes, that seems to be how it is so far. (laughs) Yeah, and I saw that there's also now a uh, petition against that. What does that mean for Tisch students? So far, um, almost 400, uh, not necessarily students, but people have signed the petition so far. So it looks like it's gaining a bit of traction. I anticipate that a lot of students, particularly film and TV students, will not be happy with this decision because all film and TV productions are entirely canceled. How do you think NYU deans as a whole are handling this situation? The Tisch dean sent a very um, almost cold email worded much differently than the Tandon email. The Tandon Dean hasn't made any um, decisions yet on how to approach pass-fail, but the email they sent was very thorough and very comforting, almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else important to add? The deadline is, the the new deadline for pass-fail is uh, May 12th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's reading day, actually, so. Thanks, Addison. Talk to you later. Of course. Thank you so much, Liam. Addison is a staff writer at NYU Local. You can find his original reporting at nyulocal.com. Fighting the spread of misinformation during this pandemic is a key part of fighting the virus itself. Our program director, Kelly Drake, has more. COVID-19 has been all that anyone has been talking about over the past few weeks, both online and in person. Our news cycle every day has presented new theories and implications of this disease coming to light, and it's getting difficult to sort through what is the most relevant and true information. I spoke with Amanda Morris, the science reporter for the Arizona Republic, to get her take on the situation. Yeah, I'm Amanda Morris. I'm the bioscience reporter at the Arizona Republic, part of the USA Today Network, and I actually used to be the associate news director of WNYU, and I used to run the rundown. It's good to be back. 
Yeah, it's great to have you back. Thank you so much for talking to us. So, okay, let's start with what coverage you've been doing so far of the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, so I've actually been covering this story since the end of January, which has been a little surreal for me to watch this unfold week after week. And as a bioscience reporter, I cover research. I cover like a little bit of the healthcare aspect of it and just kind of the science behind it. It was interesting because in late January, I interviewed a coronavirus expert. I don't know how much readers or listeners know, but there are lots of different coronaviruses in the world, like hundreds There's only seven that affect humans, the newest one being this novel coronavirus, COVID-19. Back in January, we had a case in Arizona at ASU. Everybody was kind of freaking out because of all the news that was coming out of China about how overwhelming this was for the Chinese government and Chinese healthcare system. And it was just interesting because I remember speaking to students at the time who were Chinese international students and who were saying, we need to expand testing. We don't know that much about this. We don't know whether or not there's more than one case here. And it was just so interesting because I think at the time, even I, you know, I was like, there's very low risk of this spreading here. We've only had one case, like that person's been contained. And now just a little bit less than two months later, we're faced with a very different reality. I can't help but like remember the students that I talked to in late January who were saying, I saw how bad this got in my hometown in China. I think we should expand testing. That's so interesting that you were finding all this out so early on before, you know, it became what it is now. Um, But bringing it to the situation that we're in right now, what do you think is the biggest piece of misinformation you've seen reported in the media so far? There's a couple things to think about when you're thinking about how this is being covered and what's being spread. I've definitely seen a lot of fake news out there. I think one of the bigger pieces of fake news that I saw circulating a lot last week and not as much this week, thank goodness, was there's this research study from Stanford and if you hold your breath for 10 seconds and don't cough, you don't have coronavirus. And this is not true. I mean, even just yesterday, my father sent me an article that was like, study shows that people with type A blood are at higher risk for coronavirus. And I looked at it and the study basically said, it was a study from China that basically said, you know, 37 or 31% of the Chinese population has type A blood, but 37% of people infected with COVID-19 in China have type A blood. And it was basically just a study that compared general population percentages of each blood type with the people who are infected. And it did show an overrepresentation of people with type A blood but that doesn't really mean anything yet. Yeah, there's no causation. Yeah, it's just kind of like, just because there's correlation doesn't mean there's causation, right? Everybody learns that in science class. Right. The study, it's like, this yeah. is just a bunch of statistics, and it doesn't really mean anything. They didn't really look at how the virus interacts with blood cells in specifics, right? And And so when you read studies like that, it might be interesting to know. But it might not really mean that, oh, if I have type A blood, I have to freak out. And if I don't have type A blood, I don't have to worry, you know? And that's where I think, that's where my concern is, is that people might see studies and just base all of their actions or facts off of these studies. And I think we have to be careful when we approach studies. Yeah, I really agree with what you're saying about how we approach these things. What responsibilities do you think we have as producers of news to report during this crisis? Yeah, so I think as 
reporters who cover this, especially as reporters who may not cover this kind of thing as their normal beat, it's definitely a constant conversation in the newsroom about how we can best cover this. Because in my newsroom, for example, this story of COVID-19 has literally pulled reporters from every beat of the newsroom. We've got food reporters doing stories. We've got education reporters doing stories. You know, we've got all sorts of different types of reporters who cover different beats where their beat has been impacted by this. And now they're covering some sort of COVID-19 angle, sometimes related to their beat, sometimes a little bit less. And so obviously we have a responsibility to get the facts right, to approach studies carefully, and to think about how we're presenting the news. So in early February, I saw a really nice column by the New York Times, one of their science and health reporters, where he said, a question I'm constantly asking myself is, am I being too alarmist or am I not being alarmist enough? And that's a really fine line to walk. Because you don't want to overhype things to the point where people are panicking and, you know, thinking that it's doomsday and we're all going to die and they've got to stock up on water and guns and all of that. But you also don't want people not taking it seriously. You want people to be listening to CDC and World Health Organization guidelines of social distancing, staying inside when you can, you know, washing your hands. And I think when you're reporting on deaths and when you're reporting on what we don't know, you've got to make sure you're having it being taken seriously, but you also don't want to sensationalize it. Right. Do you have any advice for people consuming media right now who are maybe seeing things that are sensationalized or might be unsure about what to believe? Definitely the biggest thing is like if you see reporting on studies or see studies, like, like I said before, taking that seriously, but also being critical about what you're looking at. So like, if you're getting anxious when you're reading the news, you can always try to look at ways that you could help, right? Staying inside, washing your hands, supporting research initiatives, things like that. And I think it's really important when you're looking at coverage of news of vaccines and treatments, these things take time because you don't wanna just put a vaccine or treatment out there that you're using in humans unless you know that it's safe and you know that it works. I think a lot of people are looking at this kind of news and they're expecting a vaccine to be ready tomorrow, right? Right. And because some people don't really have a general understanding of how the research, science, and health industries work, they're not understanding why this is taking, quote unquote, so long. And they're not really understanding that it's actually going as fast as it possibly can. Right. But I mean, like, that's our job as reporters, you know, is to explain it to people as best as we can and hope that they're willing to hear it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And looking at media coverage, I really, really want to caution people who are reading media coverage to put their personal biases aside and, and not to buy into any stigmas or stereotypes, especially about Asian people, Chinese people. We did move away very early on media coverage, scientists, researchers, basically from the beginning, they were saying, let's not call this the Wuhan coronavirus. They said, let's call this the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, all these other more technically correct names. I think the biggest thing right now is you don't want to use the news as a reason to enhance divisions among people and blame people for this. You want to use the news as a source of information to figure out what you can best do and what best practices are and 
figure out what's going on in the world and, and how people are trying their best to combat this and find solutions. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, going forward, our media should probably be more centered around finding solutions instead of pointing out problems. WNYU is going to be doing more coverage like this, and I know you will be too. Um, so if people are interested in keeping up with your coverage of coronavirus, where can they find it? If people want to, they can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Amanda Mo Morris, so Amanda M.O. Morris. Or they can also just go straight to Arizona Republic. AZ Central, Arizona Republic, has made all of their coronavirus coverage free. And I think that's really important because that's a resource for people. So but I am constantly creating my articles and other articles that I think are well-written, well-reported. And I'm also just always interested in science and data. So I've been tweeting a lot about that. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Amanda. Great. Thank you, Kelly. We will be providing daily news updates that you can catch rebroadcast every hour on the hour here on WNYU. You can read more about campus news at nyulocal.com.